Welcome to Beyond the Roadmap, Product Talk with AWH, a podcast for product people, by product people. Join us as experts share their experiences and expertise to help you build great products. Ryan, thanks for having me on on the uh, Product Tank podcast. Um, very happy to be here. And, you know, kind of int- intro of myself. So maybe I'll give a little bit more background than just a cardinal. But I, I started out many years ago at, at uh, CompuServe, which really taught me, I'd say, two things. One around, you know, kind of deep immersion in technology and another around um, kind of what disruption felt like. Because at the kind of the end of the time there, I, I found myself kind of kind of learning from those that experience when, you know, kind of CompuServe was fading and AOL came in and bought us and split us up and all that kind of stuff. And then from there, I went into consulting and did um, did uh, five years at a local startup, ten years at uh, ten years at BMW, and then now eight years at Cardinal. You know, so I have a lot of my background. Actually, has been a lot of custom dev, um, software delivery, uh, product and services. When I left uh, BMW and went to Cardinal, I really wanted to get into two two things: um, one into healthcare, and then another into um, into data. Generate. So it really allowed me to. Um, Kind of jump into data more more deeply, and you know, led um, as part of our you know inform or enterprise architecture function at Cardinal. I stood up an information architecture group, and we we covered everything from kind of master data management to analytics to integration, and then eventually data science. And you know, throughout that journey across medical and pharma um, of of Cardinal Health, I really learned a lot about our business from the pharma distribution side to the medical product and. Um, and distribution side. And then, um, you know, a little bit, not, not too many people know, you know, Cardinal sometimes refer to it as the, the biggest company that nobody's ever heard of, but, you know, Fortune 15, 160 billion in revenue, critical to, to the healthcare supply chain. But, you know, we've grown through a lot of M&A and a lot of different aspects of our company that we purchased um, or acquired really are doing more healthcare services um, and healthcare products. And that's really been the trend of the past I don't know, a handful of years or, or more, but you, now you see a lot of health tech startups, you know, data and, and, and data science and, and digital are part of everything. And then, you know, COVID has accelerated all that. So um, about a year ago, I moved out of my enterprise role, moved, moved into Fuse, uh, which Fuse is kind of our, you know, our incubation arm, you know, kind of our garage, if you will. I would say we're kind of on Fuse 3.0. Um, you know, this, this version of Fuse is much more about the kind of growth areas of Cardinal Health. How do we digitize, you know, some aspects and create these digital health products? You know, how do we you know, embrace risk-taking in a big, big company like Cardinal Health, place some bets, really um, embrace the kind of the product-led mentality, you know, kind of design thinking, empathy for our customers, all that kind of different ways of thinking about developing product, especially in a big company. And um, how do we you know, take some, take some swings at this stuff, play some bets and, and see what works, learn from it and um, kind of iterate. We have um, kind of five different business units across a fuse. We, you know, we call them verticals, right? So we've kind of verticalized the, the technical and business teams for speed. And then my team was formed less, a little bit less than a year ago. We call it digital services. So I have the kind of the horizontal responsibility across all of these, you know, five different verticals. And what we're trying to do is figure out you know, what things to kind of turn into a, a center of excellence. So we're building out like a data science center of excellence where think of a kind of a hub and a spoke. So the, the data scientists are embedded in the product teams, which I'm sure is a topic we'll touch, touch on is like, why is that important? 
but you know the, the benefit of them kind of coming back together every so often as a group is they not only learn from each other, right? So they, we can grow this practice overall. So we have data science, architecture, R&D, and a handful of um, products on my team as a, just kind of horizontal across all of these different uh, business units and views. Yep. Thanks for that. When we think about data as a product, most people probably leap to the perspective of monetizing data, right? Of, you know, sort of a Facebook play, right? That sort of thing. But you think about data as a product, less about monetizing, you know, specific, you know, data elements or, or even an, an accumulation of data to how do you make the data more consumable, usable, actionable for people that understand the data and understand the, the business, you know, sort of processes and sort of initiatives around the data, but aren't necessarily data experts from a plumbing, right, architecture, science, et cetera. They're not data practitioners. Is that a fair, uh, you know, uh, assessment of, of data as a product as you sort of think about it? Yes, somewhat. I think, you know, when we think about data, I think for the past, you know, I think we've been thinking about it almost the same way for the past 30 years, right? So since all the way back to kind of Inman and Kimball days when, you know, you take data out, you you ETL it into this whatever repository, you know, data warehouse, data lake, data, whatever. Um, it's it's generally built by um, a centralized team, right? And, and, and you, you, nobody really kind of gets into that um, that space. I mean, maybe some, some analysts will get into it. Um, but I think the challenge we've seen over the years and, and why we're really thinking about this differently, um, you know, one is because Fuse is definitely, a, it's a product-led environment. So we're, we wanted to build um, a foundation for data that, you know, fit within that paradigm. Um, and, and two, I've just seen, I've seen my fair share of these things fail. I, you know, it probably if, if others on this call are kind of from data backgrounds as well, it just seems like, you know, we, we built these, we spend years, um, millions of dollars to build these big data warehouses or data lakes. They, they somehow just missed the mark, right? And then invariably at the end, it feels like we have our business teams coming and saying, hey, just just give me a connection to that that data warehouse so I can kind of do my own work. And and when we were building, so we built a, a, a consolidated data and analytics environment uh, that we call Edna for Enterprise Data and Analytics, so EDNA. And, and that one, you know, is it, it makes sense to have that for your your reporting um, because it needs to be highly governed. Um, it needs to be you can't have different people, you know, um, reporting different metrics from a finance perspective, from an inventory perspective, et cetera. So I think that that highly controlled, highly regulated environment makes a lot of sense. Again, back to uh, back to the fuse world, we're getting a lot of data that doesn't belong to us. So a lot of EMR data, um, we have rights to use it because we put BAAs in place. But trying to apply that same you know, kind of pattern and that same approach or the same operating model saying, I have a centralized team would mean that, that you know, kind of if it's my team, my team would have to know a lot about the data and the data products the teams are trying to deliver, right? So I'd have to know a lot about EMR data, a lot about patient data, a lot about genomics data. And that's, I think, kind of the, one of the failure modes of these kind of centralized solutions. That team generally doesn't understand that world as well as the product teams do, right? So- what we're building is this kind of, you know, calling it a mesh. It's the kind of the hot new term, but we were on that path before I think it became popular, but really building this ecosystem where we can invite teams to come to the platform. They own their data end to end. So it's one of the kind of the key different differentiations over the, the centralized monolith approach is like, 
I'm not your data lake house team. I'm not your data warehouse team. I'm going to give you the space and the tools to develop your data product inside that environment. Um, but you own it end to end and you're going to bring your SME understanding of that data to that product. You're going to, those teams are solving for the problems that come with that data, right? So if we, we, have, like, we have an EMR data product, that EMR data team uh, will solve for the problems of acquiring, harmonizing, um, and, and providing access to EMR data, right? And that way they become experts in EMR data and anybody that consumes it in their product now has the benefit of kind of leveraging that data that comes from another product team. Hopefully I'm answering your question there. Yeah, what, what does the, and, and this goes to your comment earlier about the data science practice and, and data scientists being sort of embedded in the in the business teams and in the product teams, what what in this data as a product, you know, model and, and structure, what does a business team need to look like to be able to take advantage of this kind of, of a setup and an approach, because now they've got to have some data horsepower as part of their teams and not just rely on data horsepower from a centralized team, right? Yeah. So we're, we're definitely looking at the, the teams are kind of, you know, it's, it's the one team philosophy that comes along with a product team, right? So business and technology teams together. So we're not, we're not thinking of ourselves as IT um, saw a great article recently. I can't remember where, but it was like IT is kind of, we should stop talking about IT. IT is kind of a thing of the past. Think more about product where technology and business teams are together. And, you know, we, and I can give an example how that played out within my own team where, so we developed, uh, so Cardinal Health has recently launched a product called Navista. Specifically, there's a, there's a sub product in there called Episode Analytics. So we developed it for oncology practices to understand the kind of the tra- track kind of treatments of different um cancer treatment, right? So the oncology or the oncology practice can kind of new, new patient on boards and they can, they can record what kind of cancer they have, record that and track it. But we also give, you know, the data science side of it is we're giving cost predictions, like how much is it going to cost to treat this episode of cancer for this patient? And the, and the reason that matters or the, you know, the problem they're trying to solve is that oncology practices that are part of this um, oncology care model from Medicare and Medicaid they are incentivized to, to, you know, it's, it's, it's on this value-based care kind of shift in healthcare where they're being incentivized to provide the, provide the best outcome, but also kind of monitor cost, right? So kind of both at once. And in, until this product came out, I think oncology practices were largely flying blind because they would get things, you know, six months after they occurred and kind of see how they did against their, their target. Well, now we're predicting that when they onboard a new patient. So that's kind of the product side of it. So my data science team is part of the product team for Navista, you know, and, and as they were building out that product, they, they understood the problems that were trying to be solved or the jobs that needed to be done, you know, with that product of Navista. And they didn't, you know, over time, as they understood it, they built a lot of data checks and quality, data quality checks in their data pipelines. They just did things because they were, they were embedded in that team. You know, they, they could see the product take, taking shape. They could see, the product being demoed, you know, to some of our uh, pilot customers. And the last thing they would want is some data anomaly that they created to be part of that, that product. Right. Another part of my team was we were, they were kind of trying to build something that, that that team would leverage. And we were having, I would say data quality issues with the data that this kind of ancillary team or kind of secondary team was building. And, you know, some things were probably expected that should have been solved, like, you know, kind of matching table, uh, um, attribute types, right, from, from source to target. 
but over time when these, you know, these challenges kept on occurring, it, it kind of hit me. It's like, no guys, this is exactly why we're building our data products in this way. That team that you were depending upon to kind of pull that data into that kind of data space for you isn't part of the product team. They will never understand what you're trying to build as well as you do because you're part of the product team. And it really kind of validated the fact that, you know, these data products need to be part of the product build out because you don't, you, know, you end up with this kind of empowered engineer or this empowered data engineer, right? Who, who's going to solve the problems they need to solve for to build that data product versus the way we've been building things again for decades, which is I get a spec, I hand it to the engineer or data engineer, they build it, right? And then it never really meets my needs, right? Because I can never really, you can't iterate, you know, you can't be agile and that kind of methodology. So I kind of saw it play out in my own, within my own team on two different teams as a bit of a microcosm. And it was, to me, it was really validating on why we're taking the approach we're taking. It sounds, this sounds relatively easy to pull off, but I suspect that in practicality, it isn't because, you know, the tooling now is pretty mature, right? The various, you know, the various approaches and, you know, pipes and ETL tools and processes, right? The data space is now, even though there's, there's, you know, new tools and new terminology every day, it's a fairly mature place from a plumbing perspective now, but the evolution to get to this point of sort of data as a product is more, it would seem sort of cultural and, and you know, people-based than it is tooling or methodology around how you get data from one spot to another spot, right? It seems, seems more people-centric than sort of technically centric. Is, is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, I think pulling off any kind of a data well, pulling off any kind of successful product is not easy in itself. Getting people to think about data as a product is it's new, right? It's not something that a lot of people think about. You know, there was another, again, I can't, I can't remember the source. There's a really good article recently around minimal viable data, right? So we, we think we've been thinking for a long time about minimal, minimal viable or minimal lovable products, but almost every single product now is a, is a data product, right? It has data as part of it. So one thing is we don't really think about well, what's the minimal viable data we need to, to make this product successful. For us in healthcare, you know, it's, it's very much about, do you have enough you know, kind of patient data or the right type of patient data? Like an example, maybe, maybe one of our business units does a real, world, real world evidence studies for biopharma, right? If, if we say, hey, we have 18 million patient lives as part of our data set, you know, that sounds really impressive, right? But if they're trying to run a clinical trial that's nationwide, and we find out that our 18 million patients are largely in the Midwest, well, then that's really not a good, you know, data set for that product or for that, you know, for that real world evidence study. So, you know, part of it is thinking about, you know, kind of minimal viable data for your data product. You know, the mental model was very different. And I, you know, I continue to say this and I kind of, I can almost watch people as they, they come into the space. Um, Cause I, th- I think they're still thinking in the in kind of the way things were done, um, you know, a long time ago or for the, you know, up to, up to now and not really truly thinking as data as a product. So what are the, you know, something. So I think Nick Baker is actually my, my product manager on one of our products or this, one of these initiatives, but, you know, we, we first started out a lot of debate over, you know, what are the OKRs, right? So what are we, what, what is the problem we're trying to solve with, you know, acquiring this data? Uh, What are the OKRs for measuring, you know, progress against that data or success against that data? You know, some of that stuff we're trying to still figure out. I think maybe a, a third area 
you know, I guess what I was talking about, you know, bring, even me bringing in a product manager initially, I didn't know whether we'd be successful at, you know, kind of finding someone that could really think about data as a product or what value that person would bring as they were coming into this, this world. As it's played out over the past several months, I can say, you know, I can't, I would, we wouldn't be where we are without some solid product managers as part of this team. I think maybe a fourth area I touch on is, is um, what we're building is, is really this distributed data, this distributed um, data ecosystem, right? Which it's, it's really uncomfortable for people, right? It's, it's a lot more comfortable to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to form an alliance with this team. I know I can trust them. I know they can deliver for me, but it's a little bit, you know, kind of, it feels a little bit, you know, less certain that if you have, now I'm depending upon several teams, right? And, you know, so each data product, we want to wrap a team, a product team around that. And they're going to, again, solve for the, for the needs of that data product. But when you think about how this builds out, you might be dependent upon three or four different teams, right? And that, that kind of can make people uneasy. It's just a, it's a different way to approach the problem, but it's very much a, I think like so many things today, they're, they're, they're changing from kind of central kind of monoliths to being distributed, right? So we're still very much, you know, we're still pretty early on our journey. I'm sure we'll, we'll hit some speed bumps along the way. But one of the mind shifts that has to take place is that, yeah, you're, you're part of this ecosystem. You're going to contribute to it. Here's your job. You know, my, my role as a central kind of platform developer is really to start, is to find ways to kind of monitor what teams are doing, right? So thinking about, you know, maybe KPIs or OKRs for a product have something to do with the number of times the data is queried inside the product. Right. So if they have data sets that are never queried, you know, then do we go to them and say, hey, you have part of your product that's never used, right? Should be, or a whole data product itself, right? If it's never really being used, then it probably shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't exist, right? Or it should change in, in order to drive value. But there's a lot to it that's you know far beyond, I guess, technology. The the part about sort of responsibility and, and accountability is interesting because if if you're a business unit product team that's building a product and data accountability and responsibility existed with some central team with, with some cent- central infrastructure that sort of relieves you of the accountability right and responsibility around how the data is getting used where in this data as a product model now the product the, the business unit product team has to be very aware of how the data is being leveraged right how they're incorporating into the product is it challenging to get people to sort of accept that new paradigm of now they as the product team have to take some level of accountability and responsibility for how they're leveraging data and how they're using it and 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 all the ramifications therein absolutely yeah um, I'm trying to think of some some scenarios when we first started because I think um, you know one of the problems we're trying to solve for is that 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 central monolith often becomes a constraint, right? So a lot of um, requests queue up behind them, and then um, and that you know that can be solved in different ways, but I think in in kind of decomposing that into smaller data products, that's one of the things we're trying to solve for. You know, having these teams, and we're you know you touched upon kind of within a business unit. The other area of discomfort is that, you know, generally, in, in, a, in especially in a company like Cardinal, where we have a bunch of different business units, they want to control, you know, they want to have control of everything within what's inside their business unit so they can control the outcome, right? So they, they control the funding. Funding models are another, another challenge that we're, we're dealing with or trying to work through. You know, but those, uh, I think part of it's going to be us getting the right 
kind of metrics and measurements and guiding principles. And, you know, basically if you want a node on the mesh, you have to meet certain criteria, right? So you have to be, you know, things like you have to maybe publish what's inside of your node so that everybody can see it, right? You have to do that in a way that your data sets are discoverable before guardrails in place, you know, before you take your data product to production, there's certain check marks you have to meet, right? So we, we make sure that everybody, um, we want them experimenting, experimenting and, and, and then maybe, you know, failing fast. But if you get something that you, you know, you have some, somebody has some interest in or it's going to drive value, we want you to get production as quickly as possible. But at the same time, we want to make sure that you do it in a way that's responsible to the, to the entire community, right, of, of this mesh. Again, we're still learning through this and I'm sure we'll, we'll kind of add some, some things to that kind of common governance, but just kind of one of the, one of the ways we're thinking about it a little bit differently in this distributed world. Yeah. Makes sense. A lot of companies still struggle and this is sort of across the board from small to mid market to even enterprises, you know, seemingly we talk to, you know, uh, companies across that spectrum that are still struggling with data silos, right? Like they've got data in their CRM that, that operations doesn't have access to, and there's data in the ERP, right? That marketing in, in sales and business development doesn't have access to. And, and, and does taking a data as a product approach help a company to break down some silos? Or, or do you think that that, you have to sort of tackle the silo piece first and get to a common sort of data repository to even attempt to and be thinking about data as a product because data silos are still very real across companies of virtually every size and in virtually every industry. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we've, we have our share. So yeah. Yeah. I think one of the, um, one of the aspects of this approach that we're, you know, embracing and we have a, we have a couple couple precedents that have kind of played out, proven that you know we're sticking to this this philosophy philosophy of kind of domain driven design. So think about data domains, right, and having kind of data kind of nodes inside of them related to that domain. So for us, it's let's say pharmacy, and we did kind of test this. It's been a few months now, but there's one team, and it's not exactly the same mesh architecture, but it you know ph- philosophically it's the same from a domain driven approach, but they, they had all uh, kind of pharmacy integrations running through this one team and they were aligned heavily with this one business unit because they, that business unit needed pharma data or pharmacy data. Another business unit came that wasn't, you know, they also needed pharmacy data. Uh, so we had to kind of ask ourselves, well, does the team that already understands pharmacy data that owns that kind of, we call that pharmacy data product, do they integrate it on behalf of another business unit? Or do we kind of break it out and create a separate, you know, kind of pharmacy data product aligned with that other business unit? And we did stick with that, you know, kind of that precedent of, no, that team is going to, again, own pharmacy data um, and they're going to integrate it. And then we'll, you know, that data will get to that other business unit that needs that pharmacy data. So I think it's one, you know, one way that um, it does help break down silos with that. I guess the challenge with that sometimes is funding, right? So we, you know, that's something is, you know, we're still part of the larger Cardinal Health, right, which largely has these, you know, kind of annual you know, financial budgeting cycles, right, which is more targeted at kind of project and uh, programs versus products. But that's, you know, for now, we've been able to kind of stick with that domain driven approach. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how, how uh, 
you know, a lot of times money is the thing that kind of drives that in a, in a different direction. Yeah, for sure. When you think about the consumers of data, so people, product teams, and now people inside of these business units being able to leverage the you know, the data coming, you know, uh, either that's in their domain or in somebody else's domain, but is now going through the mesh, right, that, that maybe brings them together and is the fabric, right, that, that's connecting data across different business units and across different product teams. How empowered are they to go in and leverage that data, either their own domain data or other domain data in that can once you sort of give them access, right, and they and they they check enough boxes, as you were talking about, sort of that criterion, right, that you want to put them through, so somebody gets, you know, access. How easy is it for them to start, you know, consuming data and incorporating data into new products that are getting built, or maybe even incorporating new data into existing products? Is it fairly easy for them to now start con- to start consuming data out of this sort of combined mesh? Or do they need some training and do you guys have to sort of get them up to speed and ramp them up? Or is it fairly, fairly consumable and sort of, you know, if once they, once you give them access, they're sort of good. Yeah. And, and that's something we're very early on. And so our, our vision is to remove, you know, remove that friction, right? So have people be able to obviously search and discover data, but even, even moving beyond that amount you know, think about it like a recommendation engine, a recommender engine for data, for queries, right? So if if Ryan's been in there working with data for a while, Mike comes in, starts running some queries and it said, hey, Mike, you might want to look at these tables or these data sets because the pattern of your query, you know, looks a lot like what Ryan's doing. So really kind of baking intelligence into the, into the kind of, what, you know, the single pane of glass we want to have on top of it definitely that, you know, that single pane of glass, we want to, we want to optimize it for, you know, the persona of data producers, right? So I think a lot of our data platforms and uh, data governance and catalog uh, solutions really are aimed more for the kind of the data steward or the data governance professional versus the person who's really kind of the data engineer, the data scientist trying to build a data product, looking at standardizing interfaces kind of out. So the idea we have is each one of these kind of data nodes, which the team uh, started calling data pucks uh, for whatever reason. So these, each of these data pucks, uh, looking at standard, you know, kind of inputs into them and then standard ways to get data out of them, right? So we can, uh, once you kind of onboard and understand how to get data out of a puck, then you should be able to do it anywhere. Uh, so that, that part we're working on, we have some, some of, you know, some data mesh or some data pucks built this whole kind of, data observability, data transparency layer on top of it. Uh, we're, we're most of the way through our discovery um, phase, but, you know, and we have some, um, we have some kind of targets from uh, how we want to achieve it. But I really think that's going to be a real key, key differentiator where, you know, can I, can I, you know, kind of get an ID, you know, ID that allows me to get access to this kind of data discovery layer, figure out what I want to get access to, someone helped me through, you know, machine learning or some kind of intelligent uh, kind of recommender engine, maybe find things I wouldn't have found on my own through my own search and discovery, kind of click a button, right. And then auto provision that data into my, my data puck now where I can do the work I need to do. That's kind of the, you know, kind of the longer term vision. Um, Essentially it's, you know, we want to do for, 
for data, what like Shopify did for commerce, right? So kind of think of it that way, get your, you know, sign up, right? Get your identity, get your account, and then go in and you can kind of select um, and optimize for the, you know, obviously in Shopify, it's a commerce experience. In this case, it's a, it's a data experience that you want to build. And, and hopefully we, we can remove the majority of the barriers for you to, to achieve that and, you know, get it done within days, if not hours. In, in some cases, do you think that people will be creating these data pucks for, for just analysis maybe, and not even sort of incorporating data into a product because, you know, the, there's data gets used in lots of different ways, right? Sometimes it's, it's historical, sometimes it's predictive, Sometimes it, it, it's, you know, the, the sort of fuel inside of a product, right? Because software products are, are plumbing for data or content, right? Otherwise, we don't really need software, right? Um, so, but these pucks, these are pucks sometimes that are, aren't going to be just for building a new product. Sometimes these pucks are probably just going to be analytical of, hey, we don't really know what's happening in this part of the business or this process, so we need to do some analysis on it. And in the past, I'm assuming that's a request that would typically have to go from somebody on the business team to somebody at sort of data central, where now if you give them the infrastructure to be able to access it, they can pull the data down to their local puck. Now they're empowered to not have to go you know, make a request to data central. Now they just have to get access to the, to the mesh. They can create their own puck. Now they can do their own analysis on the fly whenever they need to do it in a very sort of low friction, very sort of thin, you know, sort of approach. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that accurate? You got it. You should come join our team, Ryan. Be a good addition. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, we kind of think of things in terms of we started to standardize on naming of uh, kind of core data pucks and composite data pucks, right? So core are things like, you know, EMR, pharmacy, you know, we're getting into genomic, that kind of stuff. So you can see these kind of core, I was calling them primitive, but I think for some reason that, that uh, somebody didn't like that, but core core is good as well. Somebody uh, didn't like the term primitive? Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe nobody wants to be a, an owner of a, of a primitive data puck, but um, versus a core, I mean, it sounds more, you know, more substantial. So we have core data pucks, which are kind of those, a lot of, you know, integrating, pulling data in from, a, you know, kind of domain-based, but pulling data in from a, you know, it could be an EMR EHR record or something like that, or, or a claims and remits uh, solution within an oncology practice or a dermatology practice or whatever ology practice it'll be. But that, you know, again, that that core puck should be looking at, and this is something we still have to test. So if, for a good example, claim and remit data, which is largely the billing data around healthcare, right? If we have it from, you know, rheumatology and oncology and um, I don't know, your general practitioner, should all those come into one puck? That's kind of where we are right now. I think we'll we're we're going with this philosophy that we can kind of decompose those when needed, right? So, but right now they're being one. Um, and then um, to relate to your question, these composite pucks are things more like data products or, or products that are being built out of these composite or these core pucks. So, Navista being a good example of that. Uh, but the team, definitely the 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 data, the advanced analytics and data science teams within within the business when they have these kind of ad hoc requests, or in our case, if we have to conduct a study that we're being, you know, paid, paid to do, engaged to do, then exactly they would do that. Right. So they would, we're not here yet, but the idea again is I want to be able to select either the composite 
sorry, core pucks I want to be able to connect to or the specific data sets I need, click a button. If, if any of that, you know, kind of data needs someone to approve, like, you know, from a data privacy officer, uh, that request will be routed to them. If they approve it, then we could auto provision that, that puck. And then that person then has access to that environment. All the data they need is there and they can begin doing their analysis. I guess the other part of that too is that, so we're standing, standardizing on tools a little bit too. Uh, this implementation happen, happens to be on Google Cloud. So each, you know, kind of puck gets stood up with a standard set of, you know, BigQuery, Airflow for transformation, you know, kind of logging and mon- monitoring and alerting um, is all kind of out of the box, right? If we're successful with this, and I think, you know, so far we're getting some great, great traction against it, then we'll probably take that same pattern and try to see how we can apply it back to some of our other, other cloud environments. So if you start pulling back a little bit, maybe the 50,000 foot view is you kind of have this, you may not care as much about which cloud we're sitting on. So we're, I think a lot of companies are dealing with this where we're, you know, we have a lot of clouds. We do have a primary provider, which is, which is Google, but we have some present, you know, still pretty good presence on AWS and some on Azure. And if we acquire a company, which we do, right, that happens to be on Azure, then it's like, well, how do we integrate them, right, and make them part of, uh, of the, the rest of the offerings? So we're thinking that this, this kind of data product approach and this data mesh approach, if we can get it to, to cascade across clouds, also solves that problem for us. How would you, for somebody off the street, how would you sort of describe the, this mesh architecture? Is, is this simply thinking about tools like different cloud environments and, and other sort of ETL things as, as agnostic and not, and not caring as much about, you know, the sort of the tool set because the mesh is going to, is, is going to exist regardless of the tools or is it tool dependent and the mesh has to be smart enough to know how to leverage the individual tools, but it, it does care very much about the underlying tools. How do you sort of think about this mesh architecture and how would you sort of describe it to the layperson who has no sort of data background and sort of sense whatsoever? Mm-hmm. So this, this isn't for the layperson, but I know we've, we've you know, compared it to kind of microservices. You know how microservices allowed us to kind of break down monoliths, but that's more for the technology professional. I, you know, the one of the analogies I use has been um, more of like a factory, right? So we're we are standing up a factory, which is the kind of the the platform. The data is the raw material coming into the factory, and then you could say the kind of the workstations within the factory are kind of like the data pucks, right? The data nodes. So that you know, workstation may specialize in taking data or taking raw material. And then shaping it into a certain kind of core product, right? Now, again, those core products could be, you know, built into a composite. So I don't know what a good analogy is. If it's a cars, cars are pretty complex machine, but you know, raw material coming in, and the workstation that that team, you know, ends up kind of developing is, you know, the exhaust system. Whereas another workstation or another puck is, you know, creating the engine. Right now, that engine can be kind of plugged into various different products, but, you know, that's, that's kind of where we're you know, a good analogy, I guess, that we've we used a couple of different times with more, um, more business leader types where, and another aspect of that analogy too, is like, I'm, we're only building the, the aspects of the factory that are needed today. Right. So we're solving for the problems today because what we, what we don't want to do is overinvest or overspend and build this wonderful factory, right. With, with, 
you know, dozens of workstations and we only have data and we only have raw material coming into two of the workstations. Right. right? That's, that's not a good scenario. And I think that's where you know, a lot of software has been built that way in the past, right? We, we build it, you know, these big monoliths and it's like, no, we're not going to do that. And again, it makes people uncomfortable because it's like, well, when am I going to get to that, that, that third workstation that I need for this product that I'm going to do next year? It's like, well, when, you know, when we get there, we'll, we'll add that to it. Right. And but to, know, good some, to some degree, yeah. we trained people to think, you know, of, of the, oh, they're going to, they're building this big data thing, right? This big data repository. So all the data is going to be in there. And now you're having to sort of untrain them to think of data less as this big monolith as more of this, you know, this thing that, that has to have some specificity behind it to be able to have, right, a construct around that, that actually leverages that piece of data, right, and that type of data in an effective way. So we created some, you know, some of us data people, right, created some of the problem, right? Because we got business people thinking about, oh, all the data exists in one place. That's awesome. I can request whatever I want. And these guys ought to be able to deliver it. And now you're trying to get people to think in a different way. Yep. No, absolutely. And you're spot on in a lot, in a lot of the tools we've had to date to do this. And you can, you know, you can kind of name the the various ones, the, you know, the HANAs, the Teradatas, you know, the Hadoops, whatever, whatever your kind of platform of choice is, but they all they're all optimizing for something, right? And and if and if you're hitting it with a bunch of different use cases, the ones that don't kind of align with that, you know, purpose-built platform, you're you're kind of in trouble, right? And that's where we get in trouble a lot too, where people start um, they start trying to make the platform something it's not, right? Whereas we are building it uh, kind of brick by brick, you know, we can we can solve for the needs of today, right? Without over investing in something that may or may not ever come, right? So it was interesting when we were talking before, one of the things that, that, that I asked you about was, well, it seems like doing this data as a product approach would be easier at an enterprise, you know, the size of a, of a cardinal versus at say a smaller mid-market company. And your response was interesting that you actually said that you thought it was easier at a, at a smaller company and at a mid-market company. Why do you think that? Why do you think it's it's easier to get to data as a product as a smaller company versus an enterprise like Cardinal with the resources and the horsepower that Cardinal has versus what a, a smaller company would have? Yeah, it's it's fair. It's um there's several reasons. I think there's some competing you're competing for resources, right? Scarce resources in a really large company, people, funding, you know, talent. Not that you wouldn't be competing for, you know, for those in, in a small company as well, but you know, the, there's, it's a size and scale of Cardinal. I mean, there's a lot of really big projects that go on, right? So those big projects and programs are acquisitions that go on and those generally get a lot of the attention. So we got to compete for, for some of that. I think a lot of it too, is just a, a lot of our history, right? So we have a ton of, you know, Cardinal's a, it's a 50 year old history. You know, we've, we've developed excellence in many areas, you know, supply chain management, you know, we, we pick pack ship orders to like, um, you know, 90,000 hospitals worldwide or nationwide. And, uh, but they, you know, they, you know, not too many people know this, but every, every day we do this, right? So the orders go into our order entry system, uh, those drop into the warehouse and every night they do the pick pack shipping and every day it gets to the, the dock of the hospital or the pharmacy. And that's just, it takes a lot of rigor, right? A lot of process and a lot of, uh, we have a lot of history and kind of Six Sigma and, and lean to be able to kind of develop processes to, to do that. So when you talk about, 
you know, taking this different approach where, you know, we're going to, we're going to decentralize ownership, right? We're going to have teams, they're going to build products themselves. Even just a product kind of a mentality is just a, it's a different mental model than, you know, the majority of the rest of the company still thinks in projects versus products. So there's, there's these little things I pick up in conversations where I can tell someone still thinking about, you know, things in, a, in the, in the way the rest of our company thinks about versus, you know, the kind of the way we're thinking about it in a product or a fuse environment, you know, failure, you know, we, we talk about failing fast, but, you know, honestly, um, it's hard to really to embrace failure on, you know, the big part of our company, right? You don't want to, you know, disrupting that supply chain is significant, right? So we do everything we can not to fail, you know, some of these big programs that are harmonizing, you know, our solutions on, you know, kind of SAP software or something. I mean, the, the number of rinse and repeats we go through before we cut over uh, is a lot of effort, right? It adds a lot of time to those, those programs, but it's absolutely necessary, right? Because when we go, you know, you definitely, you, you play as you practice, right? So in that, in that case, you have to, you know, you have to play perfectly on game day when you do cutover and you have to, you know, kind of unearth every single problem because we could, you know, we could impact, you know, the delivery to, to a hospital or pharmacy. Again, within the product environment, that's not, you know, something that what we want to do is we want to get, and actually the, you know, one of the things I kind of skipped over is one of the, one of the kind of the, the OKRs of our, in this data, data environment environment is really, we want product teams to be able to launch products more, you know, more quickly and scale them more rapidly. Right. So how do we measure that? We got to figure that out, but that's our test, right? Cause what we want, again, kind of the, the opposite side in this product thinking is we want to develop an MVP and we want to get it out to market as soon as possible. Right. Cause as soon as, you know, the sooner you get it out there, the sooner you get the feedback and the sooner you can validate that, oh, yep, I am solving that problem. Um, I am, you know, kind of meeting uh, the custom, the expected customer experience and they want more of it, right? And that's that's probably one of the bigger things is just really not, you know, we just, we don't really think that way kind of universally across the company. So it's kind of just a couple areas where it's, I think it's a bigger challenge. Yeah, I'm glad you, because my next question was going to be on how do you know whether this, data as a product approach is working and making a difference. I'm glad you touched on sort of the, the OKRs and, and products getting built faster and, and, and being more scalable faster. Uh, because, you know, if, if you don't have some real world ways, right, to be able to say this approach is making a difference, right, on the ground, right, with, with products evolving faster and, and our validation of being able to solve problems faster with new products, then, it could be an exercise in futility of, well, it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, data as a product or you're back to the monolithic centralized data thing, right? If, if there isn't real tangible value out of it, then especially, you know, and this is how often business unit people think it's like, well, if, if this doesn't help me move faster and accomplish what, you know, my objectives as a business unit better, right. Then uh, what, what, how do, why do I care how the data is stored and how the data is consumed? Yep. No, totally. We're, um, we're thinking like a, you know, like an overall product or like a startup where we went through our discovery phase of kind of what, you know, what did this environment look like, what problems were we going to solve? Uh, what were the most immediate problems to solve? And as we did that, you know, we started building out these kind of this data mesh, and really focused on kind of the first, you know, kind of set of OKRs, really focused around adoption of the platform, right? So are people actually using it, right? Can we attract people in? 
uh, to use the platform. And we, we definitely have a lot of you know, interest in it. And we have a lot of people onboarding on the platform. That's kind of the first, first phase, if you will, is you know, kind of getting traction. You know, the second one is actually driving value, right? So can we, can now we drive value, right? So again, we talk about if, if value ends up being able to launch products more quickly or giving someone an environment where they can get their analytics insight more quickly, we're kind of entering in that phase now. We are seeing some, some teams that wanted to, you know, quote unquote data lake, you know, we were able to build that environment for them in a couple of days, right? Or launch the environment in a couple of days, you know, they're kicking the tires on it, but I think that would have taken months, you know, prior, if not longer. Um, and then beyond that, it's really kind of, you know, you know, scaling, right? So are we, are we enabling teams to launch these products? Are these products being sold in the market? And then what was our role in, you know, kind of getting them to launch? And that'll be probably harder to measure because it's kind of like a, you know, it's almost like a secondary measure. Right. Um, but it's something we're thinking about and we're going to have to make sure that we, people understand and recognize the value that's being derived because I think you generally will think about the dollar value of the product that was built on top of it, not kind of what the back end in a kind of product ecosystem allowed you to do and achieve. But we may, you know, we've, we've talked about calculations on, you know, is, is, do we start tagging data sets, right? All the queries against all the data sets across all these different pucks. And then thinking about things like measurements around, you know, if it's, the number of times it's queried by the population that it's queried, I don't know, and the number of changes to that data set, right? So, so you know, this idea of if it's not queried very often and the data set's not changing very often, then it's probably a static. That might be okay for a referential table, but it's probably not okay for, you know, a product to exist out there that has a team that's trying to maintain it, right? It's just not driving any value. If it's getting queried a lot, right, and it's... And it's um, getting queried, you know, many times by a large population, then obviously that says, Hey, it's more valuable. Um, the change aspect to it too, is something we're trying to figure out is that, you know, maybe the, the amount of change to it could be a good thing or bad thing. Right. So it's probably good in the beginning, right. but you probably, probably wanted to, maybe the rate of change needs to slow down as it matures. Yeah. That's interesting though. Getting to a sort of data value footprint, right. Across the, across these pucks and then maybe the, the composite pucks, that's interesting because I don't, I, I don't think that many organizations, because the, the other thing that happened you know, historically for many companies, it went from, we don't have any data strategy to now our data strategy is we're going to capture as much as we can. We're going to store as much as we can. And then they were forced to then think about, well, what's the value of all the data we're storing and capturing? And, and nobody really has been able to answer that, right? Because- once it's in, you know, a data lake or something like that, it's just this big blob of, of data. How do, how do you assess value? Mm-hmm. Especially if much of that data is getting pulled out and then it's, you know, you know, maybe the biggest value of that data is running on somebody's machine, right? Some data scientist machine who you now the centralized data team doesn't even have a view into, well, what is that data scientist doing with that data? So I think data value has always been, sort of a holy grail that that never has really been achieved. And maybe your approach with the mesh and then data as a product at least gives you a shot at, at figuring out how to value the data. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We're thinking about that kind of stuff a lot. Um, and I know we're running short on time, but you know, one of the. Quentin, maybe- just, Quentin just threw a question in here. So yeah, if you've got a question, throw it in the chat and uh, Michael respond to it. Can you see that question from Quentin? 
Yep, yep. So can you talk about the role of data in MLOps and the integral roles in the product? Yeah, it's actually maybe one of the points I was going to talk about. I'm, I'm seeing one of the tr- trends I've, I've, I've seen now, and we're, we're kind of, we're, I don't know if we were early on the trend or not. And to, to me, it feels very natural because, I, again, I had a lot of, my, a lot of my history has been in software development, software delivery. I, when I got into data, you know, that kind of stuff was foreign. But now, now we're seeing a lot of software um, development delivery, pract- software engineering practices make their way into data from a data engineering perspective, as well as machine learning and data science. So a lot of my data scientists, maybe we, maybe I was just lucky in the beginning, but I got you know, a lot of my data scientists in the beginning were, were data scientists and they were software engineers and they were architects. So they're, they're, they were very, not even T-shaped, just like X-shaped or N-shaped, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, so that I saw how kind of well that worked. And then as we matured and grew and kind of, you know, kind of delivering more machine learning data, data science insights, I saw how beneficial that was because they were, they're applying these, these kind of, you know, data um, or software engineering practices to data engineering and data science. So definitely like that, the MLOps philosophy is, is core part of what we do. I think now you're seeing like, um, was it Fishtown Analytics has a data build tool, right? So a lot of companies aren't starting now to embrace this. And we've had some people join my, my data science team who are kind of hardcore analysts, like working with Tableau. They come over and it's like, you know, they start, they're great at querying data, but they kind of, they're lacking a lot of the, um, the different kind of skill sets around, hey, no, you have to actually write things as code, right? And then check that in and then version it and then migrate it through the environments, right? It's not something that's natural, but I've seen people kind of grow and mature and then go back to analyst, you know, kind of analytic functions and take that knowledge with them. So I definitely think that's, you know, that's a trend I'm seeing. I really like, I think another question, how do people find things like pucks? Do pucks live in a specific space or platform or tool? How do multi-puck queries work? Um, all good questions, Mr. Slee. So yeah, right now, you know, we have probably, I wouldn't say a dozen pucks, something south of that. Um, again, we, we didn't want to invest in kind of our data discovery solution until we knew people were going to start adopting the pucks, right? We wanted to solve for that problem first. So now we're looking at that, that, you know, the, you know, that's, that's how people will find the pucks, right? So we want to get away from the tribal knowledge of, you have to go ask somebody to, to this data discovery platform. And again, when a new puck is created, maybe when it gets added to the mesh, right, it kind of sends a message up to the data discovery platform and says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm now in the mesh. You can, you can query me uh, via these interfaces. Still working on that. Um, that'll be the next kind of six months of focus. Do they live in a specific place or platform at all? I mean, yeah, I mean, for us, since we're beat, you know, um, GCP, I'd say that the primary consideration that we're solving is kind of what that data puck looks like and what data is going to be inside it. To us, second, you know, secondarily is what technology is underneath it. And so the tool for us happens to be BigQuery for a lot of our data pucks, or I'd say all of our data pucks currently. That doesn't mean that you know someone creates a new data puck and they don't they choose maybe Postgres, right? Now we would guide them and why you need something different, or maybe you know just GCS buckets, right? That's fine, but again, we're trying to standardize ways of getting data in, ways of getting data out. But the underlying technology can can change. Uh, Multi query, you know, there there's ways since we are kind of we'd have to figure out if we end up on BigQuery and Postgres and GCS, we'd have to figure out a way to kind of query um, those today since we're all BigQuery. Cross puck queries aren't a problem. If you were Snowflake under the covers, same thing. Cross puck queries wouldn't be a problem. Also looking into you know BigQuery's kind of data exchange capabilities where we don't have to move the data. We can kind of you know just share it between pucks. 
looking at things like that. Chris asked too, do you think about distributing data into the ecosystem when the business is looking for truth versus truthy data? Are you moving towards micro data, like microservices? How do you prevent fiefdom building? You know, I think we're part of our guidance is around going to be, you know, like we don't want like for a single source that should not go into one more than one core puck. You know, so we're putting principles in place like that. So, so if somebody's integrating EMR data from an oncology practice, no other puck should go along and kind of take that same data and integrate it from the EMR practice, right? So they should build upon the core, you know, core puck that we have um, exist in existence. We got one last question, Mike, about how, how has this changed your hiring approach? Oh, it definitely has. My 10 o'clock is or my 11 o'clock is calling me, but um, <laughs> just have to give me one more minute. So how does it change your hiring approach? You know, does it mean you've hired a lot of uh, analysts and trained them to be experts of the domain or for each team? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as I said, it really, you know, when I began, I kind of, you know, one is around product management, right? So I didn't know how product managers would even operate in this environment, what value they would add. As I said, kind of Nick was my first person in, has been, a, you know, I found myself, you know, to the point where I couldn't even, you know, do without him. We actually added another product manager. So, you know, product managers are very you know, important to us. If you're in a cloud environment, you know, infrastructure ends up being very important. So we've, we've had to bring in, you know, some really, um, skilled infrastructure engineers. You know, those are two of the things as we build these product teams, we definitely want to make sure that they have that kind of right blend of product management, uh, data engineer, um, maybe even software engineer, you know, a little bit of that skill set. Um, but that's kind of how we're building these different product teams. Mike, I know you got to jump. Somebody's already calling you. Thanks for taking the time to uh, talk about data as a product and your work at uh, Cardinal and more specifically inside of Fuse. Good to see you, my man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Need some help with product? AWH is a digital product consulting, user experience, and software development firm here to help you create great digital products. Check out www.awh.net or follow us on Twitter at AWHnet to learn more.